Hey, so I'm so excited today to have Tony with me. Tony, do you want to give me an intro to yourself and your business? Hey, Rob, my name's uh, Tony Watley. Like you said, I'm a native Houstonian here in Texas. And nowadays, I'm a business coach. I've owned several businesses. I've built some large automotive communities with hundreds of thousands of members, sold those for a couple million, done some good things in business. But nowadays, I just really am an advocate for small business owners trying to help them start up, scale, or exit. And what kind of business owners do you work with? I don't have a specific niche or industry because I've got a very diverse background myself. I was in the automotive industry, restaurant industry, brewery industry, oil and gas industry. So I realized that with all those different industries that I've had experience from, that business is business. And outside of the technical expertise, we're looking for very specific businesses. I'm not really into that kind of stuff. I'm looking for the business structure, understanding leadership, management processes and systems. And I would say that across all industries, those are very similar. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and is there a particular trait of like what makes a really good business client for you? Is there a, a, a certain sort of person that you, you get on really well with? Yeah, I would say that they, the typical clients and the typical people I attract to my group and my entrepreneurship groups, 4,000 something members now, are more heart-centered and, and just focused on trying to do some kind of impact or legacy. So generally, that's people in their mid-30s and older that already have a little bit of cash flow. They understand things. They just want to get it to the next level or make something that can sustain. So I don't really like the egotistical people that talk really big and like to flex and show off because they're just not really coachable. Those kind of people think they have everything figured out. And a lot of times I see them making these giant mistakes, especially online. You, you and I hang out on Facebook and we see these people that portray that they're very successful in many ways, but you can literally see them making mistakes nonstop from a business perspective. And you realize like these people are not coachable. They, they think they have everything figured out. Yeah. And I suppose from your point of view, that's just tiring, isn't it? Because you, you, you're trying to break a particular habit or behavior before you can actually start to move forward. Absolutely. I mean, the highest successful people that we know, the highest net worth people that we know, they're always eternal students. They're always learning from expertise and different levels of areas of their lives. And that's important is that you're always wanting to learn and not thinking that you've figured everything out already. Casting your mind back over the, the years that you've done what you do and you've had you know many different experiences, many different journeys, but is there one particular thing, like one particular mistake or challenge that you, you made and could you highlight that? I would say that the most common mistake that I've made and as well as many other business owners have made is they try to jump into a partnership way too soon without understanding the dynamics of a partnership. Now, mm -hmm. literally, you got to think about a partnership, especially a business one that has things in writing, an agreement, right? It's a marriage. It's a marriage. And if you're looking at that person and you say, hey, could I marry this person? Because whenever you split up a company, there's basically a divorce that you go through, the whole legal process. So you got to understand what is the skill set that they're bringing to the table. A lot of times people just join a partnership because they want to bring their best friend to the top of the mountain with them, right? They're, they're just <laughs> like, let's, let's hold hands and jump off the cliff together. Like that's the idea. Like they, they, they have this loneliness thing that they want to just make sure that they're not doing things by themselves. Like those are all the wrong reasons. Like if that's you, or maybe you're listening to this or watching this and you've got a partner right now and you go, damn, that's, that's why I signed up with that person. That's because I just didn't want to be alone and I had to have a security blanket and all these reasons. Terrible reason, especially a terrible if you guys bring the same skill sets to the table because neither of you are ever going to be able to shine your, your greatest contribution to the company because you're going to keep stepping on each other's toes. You're going to disrespect the boundaries because you're both equally good at certain things. So 
Never partner up with a marketer if you're a marketer. Never per partner up with an operations guy if you're the operations guy. So you got to make sure that there's very clear boundaries between these things. And that's one of the things that you have to learn. It's not about just being good friends with somebody. Sometimes you just want to be respectful, but not being good friends with your partner because you want them to stay on their side of the fence and manage what they're supposed to be focused on. And you can be allowed to shine your greatest light doing what you're ex exceptional at. In that idea of having like, two people working together that do incredibly similar things the other risk or issue there is that you expose yourself to not covering bases of all the other stuff that a business needs to actually function you know like you're doing all the marketing but you're not doing this or you're not doing that and that creates a problem in itself what did it feel like to you going through that that kind of problem you know realizing that you were in a partnership that just wasn't going to work what, what kind of impact did it have on you personally it really starts to become more of an emotional drain versus a technical drain. The company actually may be doing very well on paper. And from an external perspective, mm. you may see that the company is doing well, revenue is good, profits up. But man, it's like you have to ask for permission. It's like working with your mom or your dad. It's like <laughs> every time you come up with a decision to take the company, maybe you're the visionary in the role, right? Yeah. You got to go ask for permission, especially if it's a 50% partnership. So it's going to be this emotional drain and it starts to just burn people out. It wears you down. So you may not actually enjoy the company that you've helped build because you just feel like there's this combative type relationship. And I get that there's a lot of history out there and a lot of stories of good partnerships, but I would say actually that's a the minority versus the majority. Another thing to assess a partnership is when you're starting a company, realize like, what is the skill set that they're bringing? Is it knowledge-based or is it working with their hands based or whatever the, the person that you're assessing as a potential partner and ask yourself in that moment, is that someone that I could actually hire as an employee, right? Yep. Because I'll tell you, an employee is a whole lot less expensive to pay every week, every month than a partnership taking 50% of your profits. Mm -hmm. So you got to really look at their thing. Right? You know, sometimes people think, well, you know what? It's a business. I want to bring in my buddy who's an accountant. I want someone that's really good with numbers and dollars to be my partner you know, accountants aren't that very, they're not very expensive. Now, good accountants and CPAs are not very expensive. That's actually a pretty low level skill that you could hire as a part-timer to run your company instead of someone getting half of your profits. So you got to think about these kind of things. When you realized that that was happening, that, that, that challenge existed, how did you, how did you get out of it? I mean, what was the, what was the solution for you? For us, uh, there was three partners in one of the companies I started with. Two of us were pulling in all the leads. We were doing all the back-end work. We were really doing the process and fulfillment and building the customer relationships with our advertising network. And the third one was just taking checks. He was just taking checks. We let that go on for about a year because we liked the guy, but we finally just approached him and said, hey, look, we've had a year of this business. These are the accounts that this person brought in. These are the accounts that I brought in here's the big fat whopping zero that you've brought in. So are you really equally contributing to this? And, you know, he was a good guy. He didn't like fight us on that. He's like, you know what, you're right. Uh, now the back, the back story is that he actually had financial stability and he grew up rich. So he didn't really feel like he had to work. He felt entitled and he just was just going along for the ride because it was kind of fun to do. Right. Yeah. So we just, you know, we just removed him. We said, Hey, you know, we'll either buy you out or, you know, you can just go peacefully. And he went peacefully. Thank God. Cause that company became a multi-million dollar company in the next few years. But you have to realize that our goals and our alignments are not always the same when we go into it. So you really got to understand, like, is this person on the same legacy goal, the, the alignment goal that we want to get to that first milestone? And the truth is, is things are unknown because people's lives change all the time. 
They may have a kid. They may go through a divorce. They may get married. They may want to go do something else. They may want to go find Jesus and like change and become a monk, like whatever it is, like you don't know and you can't control the output of what other people do. So the best you can do is hope that you're kind of on that same path, at least at the beginning. Yeah. And I guess a lot of that comes down to two things, doesn't it? It comes down to knowing yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, knowing what it is that you actually want out of yourself and out of your personal life and out of your business life. And then identifying what the business needs with you a part of it and effectively what you're not bringing to the table. That almost gives you like a, a list of, of requirements for a partnership. And then once you've got that, that established and you've got it in place, you need to be regularly reviewing it, regularly reviewing yes. yourself and your goals and your journey and the business and the partnership. Or as you say, you kind of get a year down the line and go, why the hell am I carrying all this? And this guy over here is just, taking a million dollars for sitting on his ass and doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I would say a lot of the, the clients that I bring in from a business perspective are in a partnership situation. And a lot of times I have to act as the mediator between wow. the two partners. And there's a little bit of hostility or a little bit of, you know, just, just negative. Okay. So if you're listening to this, watching this, and you have a partner, you need to really firmly establish the boundaries, which means what are your exact roles and responsibilities that you are supposed to be responsible for, have authority over. And each of you defines those things and you build that boundary between you and you do not step on each other's toes. You have to respect that that responsibility lies on that other person's side of the fence and you have to trust that they're going to do it. Now, whether they do it or not, that's the measurable that you can hold them against a benchmark, right? You can show them after a year, like, hey, you're not keeping your end of the bargain here, right? Mm -hmm. But if you guys trample on each other's toes and you try to be the marketing guy when the other guy is the marketing guy, or you try to be the operations guy and the other guy is the operations guy, that's what creates the animosity and the, the burnout and the disrespect. So get the boundaries in place, clearly identify roles and responsibilities, and then respect those and use those as the measurement stick of how the progress of the company is. And without that in place, it's like you're not going to get any better. It's, it's just going to remain in a bad situation. And what's your views, just as a, a side note, because I know certain business owners will be watching this and thinking about partnerships, either relationships that they're in in partnerships or ones that they're thinking of creating. What's your thoughts around things like JVs or collaborations, those kind of things, where, where two businesses work side by side rather than in a kind of legally binding partnership? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the joint ventures and the, the collaborations. I'm a big fan of those if you're going to do that, because it's, it's a very easy to split apart. Mm. You know, you usually don't share a lot of intellectual property. You don't have a lot of contract verbiage to kind of have any kind of legal percussions. So these are the kind of things I look for is the collaborations and the joint ventures, because it's just easy to split. Like you may find that a company wants to go do something else. They want maybe to get rid of their lowest level you know, revenue goals. Maybe you have some clients that are just not bringing a lot of revenue or a lot of profit mm -hmm. and you're trying to grow the company. You need to be focused on getting some bigger clients and bigger accounts, different business models, of course, but that's, that's easy to walk away or kind of split that and, and go in peace versus trying to split a company. Yeah. But I guess the key thing back to your point about, you know, knowing what you want, if you're going into a JV or a collaboration or any other kind of partnership model or pseudo, mm -hmm. pseudo partnership model, you still need to know what you want. If, if you're going to be requesting somebody else do some stuff to actually help mm -hmm. the business grow, you still need to be really crystal clear on what it is that you need to get to that point and regular review as you're going along. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the good thing about having joint ventures also is you bring in the history and the results from that company that you're partnering with. So you understand how long they've been in the game. You understand if they've got a good success and track record. I mean, it's really like a living resume, so to speak, or a CV, right? That mm -hmm. you get to see what they're all about and what their culture is and understanding if they're good business operators on there and as you're going to partner with. That's a whole lot more information than with just like two friends, like just trying to start a company together. Yeah, absolutely. And as a side note, for anybody that is thinking about things like white labeling, um, I would avoid that kind of stuff like the plague if you actually want the customer or the client to kind of see the the, the kudos, the, the strength of, of two businesses working together. If you white label, one is hidden behind the other. And quite often yeah. non-disclosures mean that you can't get case studies and reviews from that project or that client that you work with. So like if you are going to be working with another business to provide some kind of service, um, think about the impact of white label because it can be quite a negative one for a lot of people. Definitely. You don't build up your customer base and like a big flagrant foul on that. That's very common nowadays is Amazon. Like you have these FBA, Amazon people and e-com and Hey, I'm going to list my stuff on Amazon. And it sounds great. There's highly successful people who have done this kind of thing, but you got to realize that those people that are buying the products are not your customers. They're Amazon's customers and only Amazon has their contact information and who bought it and all the data and everything that you need to know to be able to scale your company. So mm -hmm. The white labeling is kind of the same way, unless there's some way of getting into a customer feedback loop where they maybe fill out a card or a warranty card or just something that you can extract the information from those, you know, downstream consumers. Those aren't your customers until they have your information in your database. If you could like go back in a time machine, and I know that the hindsight and all that kind of stuff, but if you could go back in a time machine and and you could talk to young Tony about his journey and about avoiding some mistakes what's like the single biggest piece of advice that you'd give a younger tony just to help him on that that journey i'll give two pieces of advice only because they're related i would go tell my 18 year old self to invest in communication skills whether that's copywriting or public speaking mm -hmm. and the thing is is that a lot of times people out there in the they consider themselves leader. Maybe you're the leader of your friend circle, or maybe you're the manager at work and you're on the fast track or whatever. You have these indicators that you're a leader. But the problem is, is that most people think that just because they have that tenacity or that drive to be a leader, that they understand communication. They understand effective communication. They, they have the occasional courage to stand in front of people and say something, or they have the occasional courage to do a selfie or a video on social media. So they think that they're a public speaker. Guys, until you've actually had formal training in public speaking and the tactics and the all the things that go in with that, you're not a public speaker. You're not an entertainer yet. You don't understand how to speak with influence because you haven't tactically been instructed in that. So you have to push aside your ego a little bit and go, hey, you know what? If you've never been formally trained in this, go invest in that. Go hire a speaking coach. Go join a Toastmasters. Go do that. At age 18 versus me, I'd started doing that in my 40s yeah. after I achieved all kinds of things because- I built these large teams like you, we talked about before we fired up the camera. I had 75 people. I've managed in corporate level hundreds of millions of dollars. And I thought, well, yeah, I'm a leader and I can give a hell of a slideshow there for I'm a public speaker. That's just not true, guys. When you go get public speaking lessons, it's going to humble you. You're going to realize like all the things that you thought you were good at, you're not very good at at all. And you're going to have to work on these things to improve. But the benefit of going through that pain and that struggle is that you become a more effective communicator and you can get to the message a lot cleaner and wow. people are going to be influenced by the things you say because of how you say it, not always what you say, but how you say it 
creates a much greater output or higher potentials for opportunities that you would have never known existed because you were just kind of blind and didn't have the awareness of your lack of communication skills. Now, to get over to that, the other tip is to just not care about what other people think. Most of <laughs> That's us, a big one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because because people really weigh too much on what other people think about them or what they're going to say about them, Okay. We could talk about fear of failure, but that's not even a real thing. We don't fear failure. We fear what other people say or think about our failure. Mm -hmm. And when you realize, okay, well, then it always goes back down to the fear of criticism, the fear of being outcast, things that were hardwired genetically, like, like survival mode. Like we can't have people dislike us. I got to do everything to be likable. Like that's not true. There's always going to be people that dislike you, hate you, naysay you. There's always going to be that. You can never outgrow that no matter how good you think you are, how you know, top of the heap that you believe that you are going to be. So get over what people think or say about you, like really quick, like if whatever age you're at right now, get over that real quick. And that's going to allow you to do things like public speaking and getting in front of cameras and having a little bit more courage because I no longer worry about what people think or say about me. In that as well, I mean, in recent years, there's been a lot of stuff coming out in, in marketing circles about vulnerability marketing and, uh, you know, all these kind of buzzwords around trying to tell a story in actual fact just being yourself is the best story yes. you don't need to be polarizing you don't need to use clever marketing strategies if you are just who you are unapologetically um people will either love you or hate you but you yes. can't yes. be loved by everybody <laughs> and, and trying to do that is well i think we've probably all done it as teenagers but it's damn tiring <laughs> it's like well, not, it's not a good use of your time yeah, even, even as adults, when we start to hopefully have some courage to start putting ourselves out there. And guys, you're watching a podcast, you're watching a YouTube right now. You got to realize that Rob and I had to do some internal work to be able to have the courage to do what we do. It's not easy for us. It's not easy for anybody to put themselves out there. And the big mistake that most people make is when they finally get that courage to do that, they'll put their video out there, look, create some Facebook post with their thoughts and, you know, open to exposure or criticism, right? But you try to play that warm, fuzzy average. You just try to make everybody like you because that's just like our human nature again. So I did that initially because 2015, I was terrified of being on stages or in a spotlight. I've always been an MVP in the background and being exceptional at hiding behind a logo or a brand. I didn't have to put my face out there for my own insecurities, right? And when I initially started to do that, I was just trying to you know, be nice and get, get everybody to like me, and that's our human nature. But I didn't really start getting traction. I didn't really start growing a really strong audience of really strong supporters until I started to become more polarizing by actually sharing what my true thoughts and opinions are, whether I get criticized or not is irrelevant because these are my true beliefs, and my opinions. And the good thing about this is that when you start taking a stand for the things that you believe in, you're going to repel the people that you don't want to serve anyways. You're going to push those people literally out of your friends list, out of your circles. And that's great because you don't want those people in your friends list. You don't want to serve them anyways. You don't want to sell them anything because they're not even going to be good supporters anyways. But the benefit of doing that, becoming polarizing without being antagonistic, being polarizing is that you greatly, greatly attract the people that you do want to serve. Nobody's out there seeking mediocre people. Nobody's looking for people that just play the middle road. They, they, that is so boring. They're looking for people that are being polarizing, that believe in what they believe and see them for the future and where they're headed. And that's what you need to be. So get some courage to be like that. 
where can people find out more about you tony get where where's the best place is it facebook linkedin website yeah my website's 365driven.com and that's also the name of my podcast is 365driven so you guys any podcast listeners go look me up and you know we've been on about three years 250 plus episodes you'll recognize a lot of the names on the show Brilliant. I will drop the links around the video and I'll put it in the description for my own podcast as well. Tony, it's been great to talk to you. Appreciate your time. Hey, Rob, thanks for having me on, man. And good to catch up, brother. Take care.